0: And if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 20. And in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that there's this moment. You heard a little bit about it earlier, where, where Moses stands on top of a mountain. And and the people of Israel, the, the nation of, of Israel, millions of them at this point and time in history, they're standing, waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And God has sort of given them perimeters of how close they can come and where they need to stand. And millions of them are standing down there, and they're looking up at the top of the mountain, knowing that Moses is up there to get a personal message from God for the people of Israel. And they know that he's meeting with God, because the Bible says that that when Moses is up there, a cloud comes down and settles over the top of the mountain. Imagine looking up and seeing, knowing that Moses is there, The cloud is coming down on the top of the mountain. There's flashes of lightning. There's thunder. And the Bible says that the appearance of the glory of the Lord as it settled down on that mountain was like a devouring fire. And after what had to have felt like forever, for those that were looking up at the top of the mountain, Moses begins to come down. And he's got this message that they've been waiting for. He's got this message that that God was delivering straight to them. And part of that message was actually written in stone by the very finger of God, right? They were waiting for the message from God, and they got in that moment a message directly from God to them. And I just wonder, have we ever been in a similar situation where we have been waiting for a message from God? where we've been wondering what to do, where we've been just needing, desiring, asking, begging God for clarity about a situation that we find ourselves in, that that's where they were. So imagine how they would have felt as they see Moses coming down with that message, with some of it on those stone tablets, knowing that the message itself was a miracle from God delivered straight to them. In Exodus thirty-one eighteen, the Bible says, "...and God gave to Moses..." When he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony in stone written with the finger of God. can't imagine seeing that going on on top of the mountain. I can't imagine knowing that, that God was there, that he was meeting with Moses and seeing the glory of the Lord devour the top of that mountain. I can't imagine how impactful those two stone tablets would have been to see them and the rest of the law that was written out in a scroll right then And there, right? And and so when we think about the Ten Commandments, we know that that's how they were given to us. And, And no matter what comes to mind when we think of the Ten Commandments, let me just tell you that it's not just a list of rules, right? That it's not just something that was written down on stone tablets. We shouldn't just think about Moses. We shouldn't just think about that experience. We shouldn't just think about Charlton Heston and that movie that he made with the Ten Commandments, right? It is so much more than that. And here's my prayers. We look in Exodus 20. This morning, we're going to see that that this message, it's an incredible message, not just from God, but the Ten Commandments are an incredible message about God. Because as we read each and every one of them, we're seeing the, the very character and nature of God. We're seeing who God is. So if you've ever wondered, man, are are these applicable to me today? Do I need to think about, focus on, are the Ten Commandments relevant in my life? Absolutely. Because in them, we see who God is. And not just who he is, we see who he is calling us to be as well. In Exodus 20, let's set up the context as we read it. The people of God have been out of Egypt for seven weeks, right? It was a series of of incredible miracles where, where God brought them out of the country, where they were enslaved in, and God was leading them now. It, where we pick it up in Exodus 20, He's leading them on the way to the Promised Land. And on the way, they stopped at Mount Sinai, and that's where they have this meeting with God. That's where they're going to get the law, the Ten Commandments, and much more. That's where they're going to be shown how to live as the people of God. And, and as we read this, I think this is so cool to remember, that every law, every rule that God gives them here is based on Grace. Okay, These aren't conditions to become the people of God. They already are the people of God. right? That's already happened. He's already drawn them to himself. He's already chosen them to be his people. He's already delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So it's not, hey, do this and I'll make you my people. It's do this because you are my people. And If they would take to heart what he gives them here on the mountain, they're going to draw close to him and closer to him and they're going to flourish as a people, which is exactly what God wants for them and for me and you as well. Right? What we're going to see is, is that biblical law is not just a code of conduct. It's an expression of the character of God, and it wasn't just given to build a good society. That The purpose, the reason God gave it was to grow a relationship with God and his people together. And so as the people received this message and lived by it, I want you to think, just think with me about what happens here. God reveals himself to them. They draw closer and closer to God as they live by what God gives them. And also, God is showing himself to the world around them as they live in that relationship with God. He tells them that one chapter earlier in Exodus 19. If you want to look back a couple of verses, Exodus 19.5 says this, now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? I want you to think about where they were at the time. Look at Israel on the map with me, if you will. And that area of time, Israel here is the center of the world. Right? And so God draws them to himself. He puts them in a relationship with himself. And if they were to live in that relationship with God by the covenant of God. All of the world around them is going to see God through them. That's how God was revealing himself to the world in that time period. So whether it's Egypt or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or eventually the Greeks and the Romans, all of them to trade with one another, to connect with one another, to go to war with one another, the way to one another was right through the heart of Israel where the people of God were living in a covenant relationship With God, right? God made them the center for a reason. And as they lived in that relationship with God, the people of the world would see that the people of God, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel was different than anyone else that they would encounter, right? God gave them the law to set them apart. God gave them the law to draw them to themselves, and God gave them this law to reveal Himself to the world around them, right? So it was for their sake to live in community with God for the sake of the world around them, to know God as well. People would see them and wonder why they lived the way that they lived, why they worshiped the way that they worshiped. And in doing so, people, the world around them, would see God. And so for them, that's why it's so important. When, When they get this message from God on Mount Sinai to live by it, to take it to heart, to, to, to meditate on it, and to let it be what anchors and guides their lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it, it's known as the Shema. It's something that, that every, every person in the nation of Israel would have known, would have memorized, would recite. They put it on their doorposts still today in Israel. It says this, the words that I command you have got to be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. and Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you rise, when you walk by the way, when you lie down right all the time. The word of God, the law of God, because it draws us close to God, and it points others in the world around them as well. And Joshua chapter 1, Joshua was the guy that would take Moses' place as the leader of the people of Israel, right? So, So Moses is up on the mountain. The people of Israel are watching what's going on up there. All of the people that are on the ground, their kids one day are going to be led into that promised land by Joshua. And this is what God tells Joshua as he's going into the promised land, this book of the law. What Moses got up on top of the mountain shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. The people of God were a holy nation. They were set apart. They were given this law to be set apart to know the love and the grace of God to draw close to God, and in doing so, to show the love and the grace of God to the world around them. And I wanna tell you something, right? That this is all part of God's miraculous plan. If you are a follower of Jesus today, right, thousands of years later, if you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to make you right with God, and, and that's the only way that you and I can be right with God, is to trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. The Bible says that if you've done that and you're a follower of Christ, God's word says the same thing about you and me as it did about the people of God in Exodus 19. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, this is the New Testament now, the New Testament church written to Christians, to followers of Christ, it says this. Mercy. We see in God's Word that when we trust in Jesus, we're called out of darkness into light. We're a part of the family of God. We're a holy nation. And, and, and look at how God's plan remains the same as he draws us to himself. He has followers of Jesus all over the world now. Right? Not concentrated in a specific spot in the center of the world in the nation of Israel. Our, our mandate as followers of Christ is the same. It's to draw close to God, to remember his word, his long. And, and as that happens, what, what's going to happen next is we're going to take the hope of Jesus to the world around us. Right? As we live by the word of God, we're going to show the love and the grace of God to a world that desperately needs him. So, so now... Thinking about the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 with that context, knowing that the God has given them this to set them apart, to draw them close to himself so he can show himself to the world. That happens then, and that happens now. Let's look at Exodus 20 and see the heart and the nature and the character of God and the Ten Commandments. Verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20 says this, And God spoke all of these words saying, and let's pause there and, and just take a note here that, that God is a God of revelation, right? It says God what? It said God spoke. It doesn't say God hinted. It doesn't say God made us guess. It says God spoke right there. We don't have to guess what he's like. We don't have to guess how he's called us to live. We don't have to guess what will be pleasing to him. It says God spoke. Verse two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. We see God's the one speaking. God reminds us who he is and what he's done. And in verse two, you're gonna see two really interesting words. You see your and you see you. And like many words, they can mean a, a couple of different things. And in Texas, I understand that we might not use your or you too much. We say y'all a lot, but but if we talk to an English teacher about the right way to talk. In the words, you and your, we'd see that they can mean a couple of different things. Sometimes when you say you, you mean one person, right? How are you doing today? I'm talking to one person. I'm talking to Tyler, right? But if I sit over here and say, how are you doing? I'm talking to everybody to see how your day's going and, and what's going on. You see how those can be used interchangeably and are often used interchangeably by us? So as we read this, I am your God who brought you out of Egypt, I think naturally, Given the context that God is on the mountain and the people of Israel are watching and waiting, I think that naturally we would assume that God is talking to them as a group. But that's not the case. right? In Hebrew, both of these words, your and you, are written in the singular form. And here's why that matters. Right? God is very intentional in what he's saying and in how this is written down, that this is for you and for me. God is showing us here that he is a personal God that he has a personal relationship with his people. Those who have been brought out of Egypt, right? He has a personal relationship with each and every one of them. He's a loving God and a saving God who desires to know each and every one of them individually. And and the same thing, right, that that same sentence can be said about you and me as followers of Jesus. I'm the Lord your God. I I brought you out of sin. I brought you out of, of your Egypt where you were a slave to sin, you, you were dying, there was no way out, but I know you, I love you, I brought you out, and I brought you unto myself. We see here at the beginning of, of these commandments that God is a personal God, that God is a relational God. And, and everything that we read next is to help you and me as, as people, is to help the people of Israel back then as individual people know God and continue drawing closer to him in that personal relationship. Look at verse three, the first commandment. And this first commandment really sets the pace for all the rest of them that we'll see as we work through this. And that's this, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? So God's on the top of the mountain. He announces who he is. He announces what he's doing. And that first commandment he gives them is this, have no other gods before me. Putting it a different way, it's this, for, for me and you, it's put God first. Right, Nothing goes before our relationship with him. And just reading that, we learn so much about him. We learn that there's nothing above him. We learn that there's nothing else over him or equal to him. We learn that God is the creator of all that ever was and all that ever will be, including me and you. And we learn that he's loving. We learn that he's loving. Because telling us right here is the most loving thing that he could do. Imagine what a waste it would be. For any of us to live our lives devoted to anything or anyone else but Him. Right? Nothing else could ever satisfy. And being devoted to Him and to Him alone is what, as the one true God, that would set the the people of Israel apart from the rest of the world, what were most people worshiped, multiple gods, right? That they worship one God right, the one true God, they're set apart. And you might be reading it, look back at verse 3 thinking, wait a minute. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says no gods before him. So a natural question could be, well, would, would other gods be okay? As long as we put God first, can there be other gods in our lives that we worship? And it, it's a good question given the sentence. But, but what uh, we, we see here wouldn't have been understood by Moses or the people of Israel as a ranking system, right? That's where our minds go. We think, okay, first, second, third, and we begin to make a list, right? My Aggies are a great example. For those of y'all that watch college football, we started the season ranked 13th, okay? Then we didn't play a game, and somebody moved us to 10th. I don't know why. Um, and, And then another week went by, we didn't play a game, and we stayed at 10th. And then we played a game last weekend, and it didn't go too well, so we dropped back to 13th. And then we played y'all's team yesterday, and we we are probably going to drop way, way lower than 13th. And at the end of the season, we won't even be on the list anymore, right? That's just sort of how it seems to go for us every single year. And so when we hear about first and second and all that kind of stuff, we think about a list. But that's not what God is saying here, right? We should read this, put no other gods before me, and understand God is saying, listen, there shouldn't be anything else on the list, Right? There shouldn't be anything else in the same ballpark as your relationship and your love for me. Remember the context. These people are seven weeks removed from slavery in Egypt. They had spent hundreds of years under brutal pharaohs and through this series of miracles, God brings them out. God delivers them and he's leading them to the land that he had promised them generations beforehand, right? They're in the middle of a miracle that God is unfolding before them, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, listen, I'm it. No one else could do this for you. No one else will do this for you. No one else loves you like I love you. Nothing else should come close to your relationship with me. And the same is true for us, right? If we are followers of Jesus. We have been delivered from sin. We've been brought into a personal relationship with God. We have the hope and the promise of heaven and eternal life waiting for us with God. There should be nothing, nothing that competes in our lives with our relationship with God. Nothing that comes close to being as important to us as our relationship with him. Look back at verse 3. No other gods before me. We need to understand one more thing about this. This isn't simply a a prohibition about not having other gods. This is a call to action. right? This is a call for the people of God to to actively fight off anything else that would compete with that relationship. Anything else that, that would try to crowd into their life to take their focus away from God. Putting God first is an active thing. For me and you today, it is an active thing. It's a call to be different to live different, to be set apart from the entire world around us, and to live this way, putting God first, letting that relationship with him be what guides our lives. It it truly is a countercultural thing because today you and I live in a culture much like the one in Egypt, the one that the people were delivered from. And and while there might not be a lot of people in the neighborhoods that we live in and the schools that we go to and the office buildings that we work in that say they worship a, a bunch of different gods, there are certainly a lot of things that are treated like God's in our culture. Do you think about that? There are things that people are devoted to, that they're consumed with. There are things that, that people turn to for comfort, for peace, for hope, for security. I mean, I mean think about what some of these things are. are a lot of people in our culture turn, turn to money for security. They think, man, if I have enough money, life's going to be okay and I'm going to be just fine, right? Sometimes people will turn to influence or or their social status, the way that they're viewed by others, right, for peace. They'll know if everybody could just see me this way and that things will be good and I'll be in the place relationally that I've always wanted to be in. People think, man, my grades, if, if I can have good grades now, or if my kid could have good grades now, they'll be set for life, and I won't have to worry about other things. And so they look to that and elevate that to a place in their life that it just does not need to be. People look to political candidates for hope, for a future. People look to careers, to families, to kids, to spouses for contentment. And, and listen, you'll notice that the things that I've just read off, that they're not bad things. There are good things, many times good things, good gifts that God has given to us, but but so many times people have have brought them onto that list and put them in a place where they just don't need to go. And and in our culture, so many have made them into God's. Think about that. If things like that consume our minds, then we have given them a place in our lives that's reserved for God and for God alone. All right, what is it that captures our minds? What is it that captures our focus and our energy? A convicting question I asked myself as I worked through this this week was, do I spend more time working with my kids on their school stuff and their sports stuff than I do teaching them about the heart and the nature and the character of God? Right? Nothing should be more important in our families and in our homes than our relationship with God. Right? What we're seeing here is it's much deeper than words. It's how God has called us To live this command is a call to action to be an active worshiper for them back then and for me and you today to be active worshipers of the one true God not just in here and I love singing together with our church family but in how we live and we're gonna see as we work through God's Word if we don't actively pursue him then we see time and time again the people actually forget about him that's what happened to the people that that watched Moses on top of the mountain. There's a point where they took their eyes off the law. They took their eyes off what God had told them, and in doing so, they took their eyes off God himself. Right? Those of you all that have, have played baseball with your kids or coached little kid baseball, there's a phrase that, that you use all the time talking to kids. Let's see who's coached before. Keep your eye on the Keep your eye on the ball. What happens if you don't? You miss it. If you don't keep your eye on the ball, you strike out. And you go back to the dugout and you sit down. You have to wait your turn again. If you're in the field and there's a pot fly coming to you and you take your eye off the ball, what happens? You go back to the dugout with a little blood coming out of your nose too, right? When you take your eye off the ball, you get hurt. You get hurt. And the same thing happens today when followers of Jesus take their eyes off the word of God. When we take our eyes off the word of God, our lives move away from God. And my prayer is that that would not be said of us. That we would be a people of God that stay connected to and devoted to the Word of God so that our lives stay focused on our relationship with God. That first commandment, put God first. What's our action step? How, how do we make sure we're living that out in our lives? I've got two questions that we can write down that, that I, I don't want you to answer them right now because I want you to think about them for a little bit, but I would love you to write them down. And I'd love you to talk about them with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with an accountability partner, someone that that you pursue Jesus with together. And the first question is this, are there things in my life that I focus on more than God? Are there things in my life that I focus on more than God? Discuss that with someone. And the second question is this, is am I actively, am I actively worshiping God daily. Listen, this is an active thing, a moment-by-moment, day-by-day experience. It is not reserved for one hour on Sunday morning when God says, "Have, have no gods before me. He's saying, put me first all the time. Let your life be a life of active worship before me. And I'd love for you to discuss those with someone to really think about the word Of God together, because if that first command that we see here in Scripture, if it anchors down inside of us, the rest of what God gives Moses on that mountain are going to flow so naturally and freely from our lives as well. Look at the second commandment that God gives, starting in verse 4. God says, This, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Some people shorten that to say don't make idols to worship. We can say, again, coming out of the first commandment, worship God alone, and it just makes sense, right? There's no other gods above God, so naturally we would not worship a created thing or a created idol in the place of God, it's true back then the people of Israel with the golden calf and the idols of the nations around them, they shouldn't worship those. Their worship is reserved for God himself. But, but for us today, the command is, is supposed to mean just a little bit more than that. God is also saying here, do not create something to represent him and then begin to worship that thing. And the reason is God wants to ensure our worship goes to the right place. That our worship goes to him and him alone, not something that we've created to represent him. He wants that worship to go to him, the only one that deserves it, right? Commands to ensure that our love and devotion go to the one that's redeemed us and brought us into his family as his sons and daughters. So we worship God alone. We need to search our hearts to make sure we've elevated nothing to the same place as God and that our worship is reserved for him. Back in the book of Psalms, and Psalm chapter 1, that, that book opens up with a great reminder for us tied into this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor who stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that's referring to what, what Moses got on the mountain. His delight is on that message from the mountaintop. And, and continuing in Psalm, it says, and on that. On that message from the mountain, he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. When our delight, when our focus, when our minds are on the law of God, our our delight becomes in God himself. We see that we grow, we see that we're strengthened, and we see here that, that we yield fruit and that we're productive for the kingdom of God. And so as we live these two commands out, putting God first and worshiping Him alone, we're going to draw close to God, just like the people of Israel did a long time ago. But not only are we going to draw close to God, we're going to stand out as the people of God with a message of hope for the world that desperately needs it. So my prayer is that as a church family, we do that that we love God with our whole heart and that people, our communities, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces would see God as we live out what he's called us to do. Would you pray with me? I just want to take a minute uh, with your heads bowed and, and just in this moment of worship to think about God and to think about this incredible message that God's given us and to know that the entire point of it The entire point of that mountaintop experience and and all that he's given us in his word is to draw us close to himself. Thank God that we don't have to guess in order to find him. Thank God that he has revealed himself to us in a way where you and I can draw close. And this morning, if you're sitting here thinking, man, okay, if this is, is to get me into relationship with him and and you're thinking that that you're not or you're wondering what it means to be in a relationship with God, let me just encourage you, while everyone else's heads bowed and and their eyes are closed, would you just look up here at me if if you know that you're not currently in a relationship with God? Nothing else is more important than that. And as we wrap up here in just a minute, we're going to stand and worship. We're going to have prayer partners that are right down here by the cross, by our baptistry. They'd love to talk with you. And tell you what it means to step into a relationship with God. To daily draw close to him and live with the peace and hope that comes from that. Don't put that off. Come speak to someone about that this morning. And, and for the rest of us. As we see in here that the God has delivered us. That God has brought us to himself. And that he desires our relationship with him to be above all if that's the current state of your life let me just applaud you and say keep going right there's nothing better than living intimately and deeply in that relationship with god but if you would say you know what i've just had some stuff going on i've taken my eye off the ball i've taken my eye off the word of god and i'm not currently living for him now is your time to to repent of that to say god i'm sorry and i'm turning back to you this morning. If you want to pray with someone about what's going on in your life, about the different things that, that that have come into your life, we'll have those same prayer partners down here that would love to pray with you about putting God first in your life. If you're watching at home and you're ready to trust Christ, or you want to pray with someone about putting God first in your life, you can text that same number that'll be on the screen now. And someone will call you to pray with you. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray that we would live lives of worship before you here this morning and everywhere you take us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.